I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? Let it out. I want you to hit me. Trust me. Come on. Come on. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to Hit Me One More Time, the Nostalgia Reflection podcast that boldly goes where no show has gone before, into the past, to look at the things that we used to love, to ask the question, is this good? And with me is my number one, a man who also has no idea how to sit in a chair. It is Nick Shermooksness. Nick, hello. Hey, David. How's it, uh, how's it going? Good. Now, I say, I, I say that opening line knowing that you don't know much about Star Trek, so you've never seen Riker try to sit in a chair. But I encourage you to look that up and anybody. And look, I'm not hating on Jonathan Frakes. The guy got, had bad, bad back injuries and you know, was doing the best he can. But what the hell was that chair maneuver? Is the question that I'm asking. He, he was the second in command, right? To, yeah, he was right. Okay, dude has intense eyes. Anyway, <laughs> hi, hello, happy to be here. You know, you guys kind of face similar facial hair, actually. Facial hair? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. <laughs> For some reason, I was like facial. I I don't know where my head's at right now, but I was like facial hair. What's facial hair? Yeah, a beard. Okay, yes, we do both have beards. All the Star Trek talk is for a reason, though. Our guest this week has brought it to us. Not guest is Emily Edwards of. Now, normally this is a family friendly show. We'll keep it that way, but we have to say the name of her show, of course, and that is Fuck Boys of Literature. Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And I apologize that you used your one curse word on me. <laughs> it's it's That's okay. I, it, was a, it was a beautiful moment. I oh, thought. thank you. Now, for, <laughs> for people who might not be familiar with you and your podcast, what is it about? What what do you do? Who are you? Why are you in my show? I'm just kidding. That last one I invited <laughs> you here. So accusatory. It's a legitimate question. Um, FBOL is the comedy podcast about books and the most toxic people of literature. So for the past couple seasons, we've been reading a lot of the Western canon and things you read in high school English class in order to take a more, you know, broader perspective, talk, funny talk about, uh, you know, every book that we all read and hated pretty much. Uh, we've covered everything from Lord Byron, who was the original F boy of literature to one of our more recent uh, episodes was Scott Pilgrim by Brian Lee O'Malley. So we cover basically everything and discuss all sorts of lousy, lousy people in books. I never thought that Scott Pilgrim and Lord Byron would like be in the same discussion. So, I mean, like Brian Lee O'Malley must love that that just happened. If he knew, (laughs) I don't think he listens to our show, but maybe in the future. I mean, we can only hope. And, and uh, Mr. O'Malley, I just want to say she doesn't represent all of us. Please, please be on this podcast. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm but I'm curious, uh, who who is the worst in Pride and Prejudice? And I know the answer, but I want I'm just curious what. Uh, I would argue that Wickham is not an F boy. He is a straight up villain, and I consider Darcy to be the worst F boy in Pride and Prejudice. All right, wow. well that bodes well for me because I played him in high school. So. 
I like that there's like a like there's there's being an f boy and then there's like villain, you know? Yeah, <laughs> look at like how awful do you have to be to go from f boy to villain? Like Riker is an f boy oh, on 100%. Star Trek TNG. You know, he's not a bad guy. He just has weird habits and and strange expectations, and most of them are of the lady kind, mm-hmm. and it, it can get a little dicey, you know. It's true. Well, that's what we're going to break down all the men on TNG, and we're going to talk about who <laughs> is and isn't an F-boy. Jordy, coming out of this clean is all I'm saying. Jordy's going to be- I don't know. He's got no, some weird data. episodes in data. there. Uh, no, Data's-, Data's he's, so, he's so smooth. Data's so cool. I love Data. What about Data's <laughs> evil twin brother, whose name I forget? More. A-Tad? Is it just like the Data backwards? I don't know. It's usually when it's like the reverse- Reverse data. That's what it is. Oh, no. I'm going to be a real nerd and tell you that his evil birth name was Lore, as in folklore. So you have data and folklore. There you go. Well, we have been out-nerded on our own show. (laughs) If you can't tell... Hey, I mean, you brought a literature major on. I'm going to do stuff like that. (laughs) That's fair. If you can't tell, we are talking Star Trek, specifically Star Trek The Next Generation. This 90s sci-fi show follows the adventures of the Starship Enterprise under command of Captain Jean-Luc Picard as it explores new worlds, seeks out new life and new civilization, and boldly goes where no one has gone before. Now, this is the part of the show where we give our own personal histories with the topic. Emily, you brought it here to us. What's your history with Star Trek The Next Generation? Oh, boy. I remember watching this as often as I could when I was a child in the early 90s. So I probably watched it straight on through from season one through the end. Uh, It was, I believe, syndicated on Mm -hmm. UPN, which is a channel that doesn't exist anymore. And uh, to show my age, I remember coming home from kindergarten in the, you know, first, second grade, watching it intently uh, and and loving absolute every second of it. And then as soon as streaming became available, it's pretty much my go-to, I'm bored, what should I watch television show? I love TNG. I think it's brilliant. It's probably the first Star Trek I've ever actually watched and it entreed me into other ones. Um, I think that uh, the movies were also pretty much uh, fantastic movie events of my youth when you'd have like the Borg and other big baddies come and try to destroy them. Uh, It's pretty much my touchstone Star Trek television series. And and it gave us, those movies gave us a young Tom Hardy who had become the Tom Hardy that we all know today. I'm not going to say no and love. I don't know your individual opinions on Tom Hardy out there, but let us know. It's, I'm fond. <laughs> will will he will he be in an F boy of literature? Even I don't know. Write him into a book. Where am I going with this, Nick? That'll do you have the, a history? That, that's an author. No, that'll be the fan Hardy. mail that we'll get. We'll get fan mail. Like the one person that really hates Tom Hardy is going to write into us and be like, "How dare you even bring him up?" Please do. <laughs> like, please. <laughs> I would love it. It's so lonely. Um. <laughs> Yeah, Star Trek. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah, what's your history with it? With next? Generation? Oh, I'm, you're right. Sorry, we're on to me now. Um, so with uh, TNG, um, I, I I I knew about it. I don't know if I ever saw an episode. Maybe maybe once or twice, but I honestly don't remember at this point. As far as Star Trek in general, um, 
it, I think came to me later in years, like star Wars was the one that sort of captured me as a kid. Um, because apparently in any conversation about Star Trek, you have to mention Star Wars and vice versa. Um, but um, I remember seeing, I think I saw like two of the Star Trek, the original Star Trek movies. So I think I saw the first one, which was kind of weird. And then I saw, that was it the Voyage Home with the whales? So with the whales. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously the, the two best films. Um, and um, But yeah, never watched the original show. And then I think I went dark until um, like the reboot films, which I also understand are like far and away not super Star Trek-y in, in, in a sense. Um, so this was this is a show though that like I I mean I love Patrick Stewart uh, especially from like the X Men movies so I was I was really excited to go into this because I was tangentially aware of Picard and and had a fondness of him from a distance so I was curious to see uh, how that how that would be and man the first episode you had us watch was uh, a doozy but we'll get to that David uh, what's your feelings uh, or history or whatever concerns you have of Star Trek well with Star Trek, it's kind of all over the place. But with Next Generation, this was a show that I don't remember ever watching consistently, but I, I'm sure that I did, and I was at least very aware of it to the point that I have like distinct memories of taking my sister's headbands and putting them on my face like they were the Geordie visor, which I, I, I think all of us did, probably. But I don't remember... I, I've seen episodes. I remember watching an episode in school. It's the one where I think uh, it's Wesley breaks the law on some planet and they're like, well, we have to kill this child. For some reason that was shown to me in class. I don't know why. And then I've been heavily involved in a group, uh, the the Tadpool. I know there's a lot of you listening. Hello, Tadpool, who are all pretty Trek-related people. So I know a lot about Star Trek. I've seen some Star Trek Next Generation. I was going to, I watched all of TOS like six years ago and then was like, all right, I'm going to move on to the next generation. Then watched the first episode and like lost track of it. Not for lack of interest. I did want to watch it, but I just, I think seven seasons was a lot more daunting than the three seasons of TOS that I had just gone through. So it's a show that I've always wanted to see more of, but just with the age we live in uh, of, of television, it's so hard to find the time for seven seasons with how busy I am in general and not feel like I'm missing out on so much other stuff. And I, and I already feel like because of how much it's part of our cultural identity, especially as like a nerd, how much of it I've just absorbed tangentially over the years, how much of Picard's wisdom has seeped into me just from various places. Like I already feel like I know it so well because there's not outside of the Borg, there's not like a huge overarching plot. And like you said, it was syndicated, so they couldn't really like have this ongoing story because you had no idea who was going to see it or when. Uh, but what I've seen, I really generally have enjoyed. And this was the first time I've really sat down and watched multiple episodes at once. So we'll see how that rubbed off on me. But before we get to that, before we start breaking down what was happening in Star Trek, Nick, can you tell us the world's history with The Next Generation? Sure can, David. Star Trek was a science fiction television show created by Gene Roddenberry that aired originally from 1966 to 1969. Afterwards, Paramount Pictures developed several Star Trek films with the original series cast. 
1986, the higher salaries of actors like William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy caused the studio to plan for a new Star Trek television series with unknown actors playing new characters. Roddenberry, uh, Roddenberry originally declined the offer to develop the show, but joined the production after he was unhappy with early concept work. Uh, Paramount was unsuccessful in making a satisfactory deal with the big three networks, NBC, ABC, and Fox. Paramount turned around and chose to broadcast it in first-run syndication on independent stations and big three network affiliates. Their strategy worked, and 210 stations carried the show. It performed well, comparable to network shows, even though it was airing at different days and times, as we'd said, across the uh, independent channels. The show ran for seven seasons and was followed up with multiple film adaptations. Yes. A real, real brief story just about, because we talked about Picard and, and how great Patrick Stewart is in it. That's not up for debate on the show. But I remember listening to a story of him talking about when they were putting the show together and he was auditioning for the role or they were like, they were going to do it for producers and they wanted him to wear a wig. They didn't want him to be bald. And he set it up that they like would come in and see him without the wig while he was like getting makeup on and they would just see him then. And then uh, like after that, when they just saw him in his oh natural look decided, Hey, no wig, not a good way to go. And I have to say, good choice. Very good choice. <laughs> Could you imagine Picard with a bad nineties toupee? <laughs> that would be awful. It would be, it would be so I, very bad. Also apocryphally, he didn't want to do the show. <laughs> oh. his well, agents kind of were like just do the pilot it's not going to get picked up you'll make a paycheck and then it went on for seven series you seasons. jerks yep i mean he's made lots of money off it and he seems to have a, a big love for the show now oh yeah yeah that's fair that's fair. It was it was fine. So also related to Picard. Um, I my my partner is French, and I was discussing the the show with her, and um, I think she I can't remember. She, I think she asked me like, oh, is like he is he actually French? So I'm like, you know, what? I don't really know because obviously Patrick Stewart is very British, um, and so I, I looked it up, and apparently yes, he grew up in La Bar, France, which is a real place. Um, but apparently, and this I love this justification, was that by the 24th century, French culture and language basically was dead. Mm -hmm. So that's why he's British, but technically French. And uh, I, I, I thought that was hilarious. Just, of course, my, my French partner is, is thinking like, well, you know, it's actually super clever, but I also feel personally attacked. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, anyway, I think it's, it's, it's hilarious. So. Picard. Now, now I'm picturing this version of Picard that is Patrick Stewart with a bad toupee doing a bad French accent, and, and a beret, and a beret. Like, probably has a little like pencil mustache drawn in, and <laughs> in his, his uniform like the striped, the black and white striped shirt yeah. with the I'm just Star saying, Trek Lego on. What, what, like what the show could have been, what the show could have been, you know? In fact, what we're going to talk about now is garbage because we want this we version. Want, yes. So. Can we please petition, was it CBS now or still Paramount to make our version of the show? Yeah, I'm sure Patrick's uh, or we, up or, we, or we can discuss this show. Okay, let's just discuss this show. Since, I mean, we, we're talking about the look that Picard brought, but let's talk about kind of the look in general, because for a 90s show, I have to say, pretty well held up. Yeah, I mean, one thing that you notice when you're watching the show is that the set dressing is entirely mauve. 
It's a very weird shade of like pinky brown carpet mm. on nearly every surface. It's very bizarre. But I will say that one of my favorite things about the show is actually the costume designing because very fre- frequently uh, the uh, men, uh, the self-identifying male characters of Star Trek, because they do actually get into non-binary characters and things like that. Uh, they often wear gender neutral clothing, which is women will be wearing pants and men wear a lot of kilts and skirts. There's a pretty early on episode where Picard is walking around in an absolute mini skirt. And it's really very actually impressive for the fact that that episode probably aired in 1987. So it's a pretty like cool looking forward thinking nifty show. They get a lot wrong, you know, or things have evolved past then. Uh, in our understanding of things like gender identity and things like that. But uh, frankly, for the fact that it came out in the late 80s and early 90s, it was pretty darn progressive. Oh, definitely. This was taking the idea that Roddenberry originally had of an integrated future, which, you know, he had to he had to do some stuff in that original show to really push the boundaries and, and mm-hmm. basically cheat things in some areas. Mm-hmm. And this was made in a time where you could have more than one black person on your show and it wasn't this like huge deal uh and and like you said there's things like all all the clothing now like the women aren't in these little dresses as they're walking around they're all wearing the like the same uniform that's just not flattering on anyone which is really the only way the future can be yeah, it's the least sexy Star Trek uniform of all time. It's really boxy, and it's obviously made of wool, and it looks really uncomfortable, except for poor Deanna Troy's cat suit. But even that, you know, it's not as tight as Seven of Nine. Oh, oh, yeah, that's true. But yeah, that, she always stood out so much, Deanna Troy, just because everyone else, like, same uniform, same uniform, same uniform, and Deanna Troy. Yeah, spandex, <laughs> sure. Why why weren't we getting spandex on data is what I wanted. <laughs> data first of all, I'm a little I'm a little disappointed, Emily. I gotta be honest. You brought us no hollow deck out of control episodes. You're right. I didn't. I wanted to suggest one of the ones where data becomes Sherlock Holmes because Oof. those are honestly my favorite episodes. Nice. But you asked for the best and the worst, and those are all like pretty just good, you know? <laughs> Data, data's fascinating. We got a little bit because we watched uh, Phantasms. This is one of the episodes you brought in that he right. he goes when he wants to get psychoanalyzed. He goes to Sigmund Freud, which is such <laughs> a You would think choice. in several centuries, like Sigmund Freud is probably the last person you would want to have psychological counseling yeah. from. <laughs> Especially about the stuff that he is dealing with. That's one thing that's always so funny to me about Star Trek is especially with TNG and Wysan TOS, like they don't ever reference literature or culture beyond the era in that the show was made. Yeah. Like there's, there was no other great book series post 1990. Yeah. They never Mm. like make up someone in the future who was very famous for art or literature or anything like that. They always just go back to stuff you could look up in the encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, what if what if at one point though someone just offhand referenced and I can't remember his name and I'm trying to see if I can Google it fast enough but the fake pop star from Xenon like what if he was just canon does it, does anybody else remember Xenon 
No. What? Z- oh, man, now I feel insane. Like Z- the noble gas? I'm not sure what Xenon Girl of the 21st Century Disney Channel original movie? No, I'm sorry. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, well, this is awkward. <laughs> this seriously is. I gotta shut this show down. What if we just like pretend like he's completely making it up, and it's just like literally there were that three of exist. them. There were three. Honestly, yeah, no, like, David's he is lying it up. to you. I'm sorry. He's, the he's been lying to me since day one, so I definitely don't believe this. Yeah, I don't. I don't release this show. I just convince Nick to <laughs> meet me and other people. Once Why haven't we made any money? <laughs> Ooh, that's a that's a big question there, bud. Welcome to podcasting. I mean, in general, right? Um, rich in life. Uh, yeah, I like the the whole culture thing because, um, like, in in the Sub Rosa episode we watched, it's I know, in comparison to the whole French is dead thing. It's like we have a planet for Scotland. Like they <laughs> they made it, but France didn't. Like, for okay. Europe. <laughs> hey, France made it. They just got overrun by the British. France <laughs> is still allowed to be in France. They're at least allowed that. Yeah. <laughs> they're allowed their terroir. They're oh my god. Well, this is and it, what they're just doing what inevitably happens in all all TV shows and movies where if you go far enough back, like everybody's just speaking with a British accent. Any movie made right. in Rome, yep, is just like they're speaking with British accents. Like Gladiator, all of them are British. Why? Doesn't matter. It just it's classical. Yeah, it's one of my favorite acting tropes. Yeah. Speaking yeah. speaking of acting tropes, I know we didn't get to see much of Worf in this. I can just you can always tell how much fun Michael Dorn had being Worf. Yeah. And yeah, God bless him for putting on that head thing every day. That must have taken hours, and it must have been so sweaty. And I can only imagine how uncomfortable it was because the hair is also super fake, and it just looked really uncomfortable. It does, but we we watched another uh, similar era, like obviously inspired. We watched, um, oh Nick, what was the show? Farscape. We watched Farscape, and Farscape was was a good show. I liked what we watched, but it does. What I'm trying to say, I'm, I, I have like 10,000 thoughts trying to rush together at once. One thing I always really like about what Star Trek did with their aliens is obviously it's humans to save money and you can do makeup and that's going to look infinitely better than trying to have 1990s CGI characters walking around. Uh, but they always looked like really good. You know, you never saw an alien and thought like, well, oh, that obviously is really cheesy and fake. It just always was generally like, that looks pretty good where stuff like Farscape got a little bit too much in what was going on on some of those characters' heads. I just, like, I really appreciate that, oh, this this race ha- has a really distinct facial feature that is just different enough from human that you get the visual cue immediately, and it looks good. It looks natural. Yeah, they really went, uh, you know, leaps and bounds with things like the body painting and stuff like that, too. The costuming was always really, really good. It was very 90s and very outlandish. Like, whenever you would have Deanna's mom on, Loxana Troy, whose name I can never pronounce, like, she was always just covered in, like, foil and chiffon and lame, and it's just oh wild but they just kind of like had fun with it Mm -hmm. which is i think all you can really ask for in a sci-fi television show just go nuts oh the the borg are the like they're the epitome of 90s just add more can there be something that rotates right (laughs) off of his eye 
not sure if you all are old enough to remember Spencer's gifts in the mall oh, yeah. where it was like always just like weird Tesla coils and things that went zoom and there were yeah. always just like really loud lights and stuff like that. And then they just glued them to people. It's great. And and Patrick Stewart, when he's a Borg, has he has like a an, an, something on his arm that is longer than his arm. But it's like because his normal arm is in there, it's like comically long that he's waving around. Yeah. Nick, had you ever? What, what did you know about the Borg before you watched this, Nick? Uh, nothing. I there weren't any Borgs in the episodes we watched, were there? Did you skip the Borg episodes, Nick? No, I watched the three UK. I guess I skipped the Borg episode. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I, I will Google a Borg right now and just sort of chuckle along as you talk about them. They're uh, evil androids. It's not really that complicated. No, <laughs> but it's just like their their design so is fun. like. A little, a little black leather with some some radar, tiny radar dishes attached to them. Yeah. Now we're and talking. Literally, the entire subtext is: this is how Hollywood feels about the evils of communism. It's really <laughs> not very subtle at all. It's uh, yes, it's boards. not. But when, like, when you can take the show in the context of the show is about humanity and and our willingness to work together and you know we're stronger together than we are apart and we're really trying to build a better like civilization you know picard even says in one episode that my my ideals my society is about freedom and you're going to take that away from me when you make me into a borg it works even though it is just a communism metaphor one of the really nice things about the Borg is that like they they're so supernatural. You know what I mean? They you can tell as they're writing more Borg episodes, the writers realize they made them too powerful and they're like <laughs> no normal human or humanoid society can overtake this like massive like computer generated society essentially. So they do kind of start fiddling in weaknesses here and there in order to make it realistic that, the, you know, the Star Trek people could conquer the Borg. But, like, it, it is a very astute observation of, like, in order for society to succeed, there you do have to acknowledge and respect one another's differences because if you erase all differences, society is, you know, a little bit weird. Can't do it. Yeah. And, but they they do. I will say they did develop the only spaceship design that makes sense because the cube. The, the cube. How how does everybody? Whenever other ships run into each other, how are they always facing the same direction? In like that's a really good point. The same orientation in space. The cube makes sense. Also, all the spaceships are designed for wind resistance, which doesn't <laughs> exist in space. So it doesn't actually matter that it's a cube because there's nothing to resist. It's, it's just true. a classic. Um, I don't know, patriarchal phallic <laughs> thing. I don't know what I'm trying to I say. I mean, the ships, you know, the ships are real phallic in the back, I guess. I don't know if you want if you want to start breaking it down. Uh, don't get me started, boys. I mean, there, there's a pointy part and two rockets on the back. You tell me. Um, so as far as the Borgs go, it's got put it, keep it in the show. Uh, as far as the Borgs go, what kind of weaknesses are we talking about? Like a nut allergy or... Um, like milk, people allergic to milk. Someone's allergic to milk. Sunlight, that's a bad one. It starts with the first weakness, and Emily, please speak to it more as it goes on. But their first weakness is that they're a hive mind, and they can export Correct. that. Correct. I mean, that the sounds first really way efficient. Sort of, 
Yeah. The first way they're kind of taken down is the old trope of like, we're going to introduce a virus in order to make these computer people look away. And that, you know, and it, again, this is probably happening in like 1994, you know, so like so you can disc, fool they just stick anybody. The back of yeah, head. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like Jordy goes to the planet on the away mission and he just like sticks a thumb drive in something and everything goes wrong. And it's just really glorious to watch. Um, and then it kind of proceeds from there because like the Borg can adapt really fast because they are a hive mind. And so like, uh, the virus only works for so long. And then they have to, you know, outrun them, outsmart them. And then mm -hmm. eventually I believe they're all defeated because everybody comes together and works together and, Oof. you know, all the warring factions and stuff like that. And it's like, they're beaten by space UN and it's great. <laughs> There, everybody holds My. hands across the galaxy, and the board can't can't stand it. Yeah. Not allergies. I'm a little disappointed it wasn't allergies. Yeah. Like, oh, my seasonal allergies are really <laughs> acting up. Oh, my empire fell. Yeah. No, well, you know what they did? They just introduced Alexander to the Borg, and they fell apart instantly. But no, Wait, no, so no, Alexander. <laughs> no, he Sorry, I forgot the name. I was like Alexander, Alexander, Alexander. Worf's three quarter. Uh, Klingon son and one quarter <laughs> oh it's so complicated it's beautiful oh I, I have a friend out here who has a theory that if any show goes long enough it eventually becomes a soap opera like it's you can true. start out with the best intentions and then by like season five it's just like you know it's messy like who's cheating on their husband kind of stuff and it's just like absolutely applies to TNG of just like it starts just going off the rails and it's amazing Oh, that's why I'm hoping that in like season 25, Grey's Anatomy will now be a Star Trek show. <laughs> Just like they haven't tackled doctors in space on Grey's Anatomy. And I think that's literally the next frontier or final if frontier. Yeah, there are no space doctor shows. Like I want house, but in space. I have a friend who went to medical school just because he wants to be a space doctor. Nice. How yeah. are they doing if, so far? Uh, he, he's, he's a cardiologist. So, you know, he went from being an baby actor steps. to a cardiologist. Well, that is a big step, actually. That's not I baby know. steps. I would love it, if, though, if Grey's Anatomy just, like, in between season breaks, is like, we're going into the future. 500 years in the future. And they were Grey's just on Anatomy spaceship. 3,000. That's what uh, Riverdale is doing. They just decided to zoom forward a couple of years, and now everybody's an adult and in weird spots. Hey, look, we can't, look, we can't. This is the second time Riverdale's getting brought up on this show, and I, I I've refuse. never seen it. Don't worry. Okay, I was like, I refuse to let this turn into a Riverdale podcast because I will turn this into a Riverdale podcast. It's just going to take one bad episode, and we're going sideways. I can't believe they attempted that television show. The audacity of turning oh. it into like hunky Archie. My I, God bless Hollywood. My my girlfriend and I, when we watch it, like our, our stipulation is we have to have a box of wine. There's no bottles involved. It's a box of wine. It's that cheap. It's that. And, and like we just trash talk it the whole time, but we love every second of it. Back to Star nope. Trek, which is better. Surprisingly. The second best Grey's Anatomy show ever. <laughs> okay. yeah, but I, I will say this show... I want to talk about the computers because the, we talked about the Borg a little bit and the computers are hilarious. They were better in this than they were in TOS. And I appreciate that they never tried too hard to be too futuristic with it. But I just love the idea of spaceships with static displays. Punch lights and nothing happens. 
Oh yeah, they're just constantly touching these screens where like nothing is actually happening. And when they have to show you something else, they very obviously just switched it out. And there's like lights on a particular the part. Overhead like, projector. Yeah, like oh, we can see here. It's like that that screen won't be there ever again, and it wasn't there five minutes ago. Oh no, the, the tech advances of this. But how badly do you want a computer where you can just? computer, but it's not owned by Amazon. Like there has to be a delineation. I don't want it to be an Alexa. I just want computer. Com- yeah, please. Computer lights, which I guess you can actually uh, make Alexa respond to computer. So it's it's true. There, I mean, maybe in the future, like Siri, Alexa, and like Google, like merge into a super sentient AI that. <laughs> So the Borg is what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the Borg are a natural evolution of Amazon. In fact, some of them even look a little Jeff Bezos-y. It's so. true. Oof. I'll give you that. Rough. <laughs> Let's... I think he can afford to be hurt a little bit. I, I wasn't saying rough for Bezos. Um, let's <laughs> talk about, we're going to talk high and then we're going to talk low. Let's talk inner light a little bit. Let's really get into inner light. The episode where Picard lives a whole life that doesn't really exist. I'm curious, Emily, why, to you, why, as a high point, does this episode stand out? I think by and large, amongst, like, TNG TNG people, it's considered, like, the best episode of the entire series. Um, And I think it's honestly a, a show I remember watching when I was a child, and I actually like zoom to it when I rewatch the show because I just think it's an absolutely beautiful episode. Um, Picard is basically known for being an emotionless jerk. And uh, by the time he's taken over in Inner Light, he's hit with sort of like a space beam laser and he falls down on the bridge. And then he's suddenly transported to this other land where he is the smartest person who lives in this small village and they are having water issues. There's a drought. And everybody is telling him that, like, basically this this land is going to perish because there's a drought. And he has a wife and a child and eventually grandchildren. And he lives his entire life uh, in this village that is perishing. And he's really drawn to, you know, over time, he stops saying, I'm Jean-Luc Picard of the Starship Enterprise. And he's, he, he understands that his role in this village is to be this patriarch. And uh, it, and over time, he grows old. He watches people die, and uh, you know, he watches essentially this whole village succumb to the drought and perish. And then, when everything is over, he's transported. Essentially, his consciousness is transported back to the bridge in his Jean Luc Picard form. And everybody just goes, "What do you mean you've been gone eighty years?" It was only 15 minutes that you were essentially out cold. And then there's a message from the alien race saying, like, thank you for experiencing our history. We've been extinct for X long number of years because, uh, you know, the the drought took us all. And I think it's just a very um, emotional and brilliantly deft episode in a series that more often relies on technology or action adventure or peril in order to tell a story. But this episode in itself is extremely personal in a way that like few other episodes of the entire series are. I mean, yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. I think so just it- to be clear, did, did Picard 
like actually live it like were the people that he apparently experienced the family with like you know like there's Al. um there's there's a moment in the episode where they his wife on the planet sort of hands him a flute and says like you're learning how to play this you don't know how to play it and Picard fiddles away with the flute and um you know when he goes back to the ship he still has the flute so you know that it was an actual physical sort of uh thing for him it's something he actually experienced somehow through the magic of, of space and time. Uh, and, you know, throughout the entire series, whenever he's in a pensive moment, he actually breaks out this little piccolo flute and plays it. And when he um, has uh, uh, romantic relationships with other women, he'll tell them about the flute because that's like such a sign of, of Jean-Luc Picard opening up and letting people know him is to let him know, to let other people know about this flute and the life mm. that he lived, you know, parallel to his own. So was it more though that he was like, like basically inhabiting someone? Like it was basically a super advanced like virtual reality simulation in his brain, and he kind of was living out someone else's life, and you could sort of push against it a little bit. But ultimately, obviously, sort of gave in and, and lived the existence. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a really good way to describe it. It's essentially a really advanced uh, virtual reality sort of thing that he lived through. Yeah, nice. it, they wanted their their existence, their culture to be carried on. And really like the, the way they decided to do it was have somebody live among us, experience our culture. And I think that's a really beautiful idea for a story. And it's a really smart way to use something like Star Trek, where you can hand wave everything with technology, you know, even, even what is essentially magic. You can be like, oh, it's just, we don't understand what this beam is doing. It, it will have a really bad technobabble explanation by the end of the episode. But they don't let that get in the way of the story they're trying to tell, which is this society that is on the brink of disaster and, and will face disaster. But they want to be remembered. They don't want to just be a footnote of our planet was destroyed. It's like yeah. we were a people with, with a life and we had families, we had culture we we live together, you know, like we came together to keep this tree alive as this beautiful symbol of hope. It really is a, a wonderful story. And, I, and I'm glad that you brought it because I'd heard so much about it. You know, I I knew about it from the meme of like, this is what they thought uh, Patrick Stewart would look like it, at 70. And here's what he actually right. looks like at 70. But to actually like see the story and like, I really get why for so many people, this is considered the best episode. Yeah. I think it's really I, important. I'll... Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I, I was just going to say that I thought I was agreeing that it was it was a nice introduction to this for someone who never really watched it because I it was immediately sad and I figured anything that makes me sad, I should probably continue watching a little bit longer. So anyway, please jump in. Oh, no, I just really like the fact that the whole undercurrent of the of that particular conflict was just that like the that technology just simply can't solve all problems. Mm. You know, these mm -hmm. people are dying because of a drought and there's just simply no technology to make drought go away. And I think that's just a really important thing that a lot of sci-fi shows actually don't recall all the time, that suddenly there isn't just going to be a magic computery thing to solve the issue. Um, and sometimes, you know, people just die and you can't solve that all the time. And uh, it's a really forward thinking thing for a sci-fi show in the early nineties to do. 
Yeah, but there would be if they had had it be like, oh, they come across this small planet because they, in another episode that we're going to talk about here in a minute, mm-hmm. there is like a weather system, like a weather machine yeah. they can create to, to so if it, it happened that way, this story would just not have been the same. And there's a really like beautiful moment where Patrick Stewart or Picard, knowing what's going to happen, um, is talking to his his daughter who like she also realizes what's happening and he he just has this moment where it's like, well, we, we can't fix it. We can't stop it. Let's just enjoy the life that we have. Just saddens me to see you burdened with the knowledge of things you can't change. Father, I think I should marry Danik sooner rather than later, don't you? Seize the time, Maribor. Live now. It's just a nice, really nice story. And we get uh, Richard, Richard Real is in it, who, you know, great actor, great to see him pop up. One of those guys, sort of actors. It is an interesting moral quandary, though, because if you know the world's going to end, you're saying we'll still go and, like, create more life. Like, that kid, you know, was, like, eight years old when everyone dies. Like, that's pretty rough to bring a kid in this world knowing that He's it's like not years my personal choice, but I see why people do it. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, not let's not go down that rabbit hole yeah. too far. It's a heavy, <laughs> that's no, a heavy conversation. <laughs> let's get dark. Um, let's what is, let's talk Beverly Crusher having sex with a ghost. <laughs> so if the if the, if the sad episode was the one that was like, man, I'm sad now. I should keep watching. This was yeah. the episode where I was like, hell yeah. Like, this show is weird and amazing. Like, that was so weird. It's so weird because it's not just any ghost. It's her grandmother's personal it's sex ghost. Not it's, even no. her grandmother's. It's like her great-great-great-grandmother's. For generations. For generations. candle. Oh, sex Sorry, God. kids I, who are listening with their parents. <laughs> <laughs> it is just and i was hoping the whole time that at the end they were going to reveal that he had some sort of mind control ability or something to justify the scene when she runs into her her chambers in the ship and is like on the bed like where is he oh and like shaking just like oh he's not gonna come to me like like you know, she's a, a teenager whose emotions yeah. are, are and not going a crazy. Doctor and a mother of a twenty-year-old. No, yeah, yeah. Th- see, this is the problem with shows that only have two of the like not white male characters. Like, you know, they kind of run into this a lot on TNG, where there's like only Worf and Jordy of people of color, and there's only two women. So, like, poor Deanna and Doctor. Uh, Crusher, they get subjected to a lot of weird stuff. And this is by far the weirdest that poor Beverly Crusher has to go through, aside from getting written off the show because uh, the showrunner didn't think she was sexy enough for season two. Um, Yeah, there's a different doctor um, for season two. And then fans got really upset and they brought her back. And then they just started writing the just most banana cracker stuff for her. and this takes the cake. Yeah, I mean, there's really no way to describe it other than just like the fact that this had to have been punishment or something. Like, it's just so weird. <laughs> I, I mean, I have to wonder 
who pitched this idea? Who was in the writer's room saying, listen, we've got this smart, capable woman who is running the whole Met Bay. She is a real boss. You know what we're going to do? We're going to have her get seduced by the same ghost that was doing it with her grandma because she's going to read her grandmother's journal entries and get turned on by them. (laughs) So weird. So weird and gross. (laughs) And then, like, the old crotchety Scottish, like, caretaker comes and, like, warns her about the creepy sex candle. And she's just like, surely you're lying. And then she just, like, blames her for it the entire time. And there's a grave involved. And it's just so, it is so, like, someone who just picked up a book of Celtic folklore Mm -hmm. and was just like, let's throw it all in a blender and make, and see what comes out. It's just fantastic. I want, like, a a crappy romance novel book cover of, like, this, of, like, Ghost Sex Candle, you know, (laughs) the series, hopefully. Yeah. Um, And... And like her, and the, the, the traumatic experience of her grandmother being exhumed at the end and being possessed by the ghost. That was so I forgot weird. about that part. <laughs> and also, like, okay, so just to be clear for those listening, it wasn't actually a ghost. It was some sort of like plasma phantom energy sure, yes. thing that. It was a Star Trek ghost. <laughs> right. But like but the reason that the, it, the, this whole sex candle thing is because like the candle was also made out of plasma, I think was the explanation. Yeah. So like the ghost traveled. Uh, so I guess the, the candle's been around forever, right? And so it's passed from like the 1600s up until, you know, whenever people went into space and someone was like, I'm bringing this candle to freaking Scotland planet, planet Scotland. <laughs> Yeah, you and, don't want to get rid of this candle. Whatever you do, don't get I mean, rid of this candle. They never thought it was weird that uh, the same candle that's been operating since the 1600s never actually, like, they seem to be surprised that it was a plasma candle, whatever that means in the context of like. A I don't know if they candle. ever had to like refill it or like, yeah, you know, my candles <laughs> listen, burn out in eight to twelve hours. Like, Beverly, Beverly, I need you to do something important. I need you to go buy some plasma, and put it back in the candle. <laughs> don't ask questions. <laughs> You can just, those were the days where like Ronan was getting really anxious. Like, come on, come on. Also, okay, just be clear. This is a Scottish ghost named Ronan. Yeah. Like, like Japanese Ronan Samurai Ronan. Yep. Yeah. You are, you're right. If only, if only they had taken it that far where he like, he shows up in a climactic <laughs> battle wearing like a samurai <laughs> armor. <laughs> like, this, I mean, it's, the episode's so, so problematic. Let's just put that in there too. Oh, yeah, especially because, like, for some reason, Scotland planet is not just, like, modern Edinburgh. It's, like, right after the war and the Jacobins lost. And for some reason, they're all just, like, really living in, like, rural Highland poverty. And it's just, like, there's no lock on her door. Like, the house isn't insulated. Like, it's just, like, the worst lousiest like highland shack and she's just like ah the old times it's like no one in your family ever knew these old times like how why is this the setting they also i think the show uh it does it's it's really funny with this uh where it's like um like i think they must have picked like the uh, a place to film it that looked kind of like old scotlandy and in the show they make a comment where it's just like actually when we colonized this place we actually brought original stones from scotland that's why everything looks like it should be on earth 
Yeah. I um, want to know what was filming in that sound stage before where they were just kind of like, eh, let's keep it. Like <laughs> just <laughs> sheer budgetary laziness. I mean, it probably, it was probably other syndicated shows at the time. Like they just had like a Hercules episode film and like, eh, just, you know, keep it, yeah. keep it going. Exactly. Add some fog and we're good. <laughs> oh yeah. The fog. Oh. I mean, we're t- you know, we talked the highs, we talked the lows, we talked a little bit in between, but we don't have time to discuss all of seven seasons. We'll get to our final thoughts here in a moment. Before we do that, though, we turned it over to our listening audience, to the internet. We asked, who is your favorite Star Trek captain? That's the appropriate question to ask on Facebook and Twitter. And here's what a bunch of you said. Well, Jamie Swope couldn't decide. They said, I like them all for different reasons. Um, Kirk, because he just made his own rules and apologized later. Picard, because that series was the first I watched growing up. He's also very well studied and musical. Uh, Cisco had to deal with a lot of crap. And while he got the job done, he was still compassionate. Janeway, obviously, because woman power. But let but she let nothing slide. She reminds me of being a mom dealing with all the crap she did. Okay, Archer isn't really on my list since I only watched that series once. I haven't seen the CBS stuff, so I guess I can relate the most to Janeway. But the Chris Pine Kirk is fun and good to look at. I Thank will, you, Jamie. I will agree with that. He is good <laughs> to look at. For Team Kirk, we have Franklin D. Bryant III, who said that Kirk, probably because he is who I grew up with watching reruns, but also because I preferred his more direct approach. And uh, Cisco got love from Michael Thies and Chad Dore, who both shared gifts that we can't show you because this is an auditory uh, podcast, but they were great. Same with Janeway from Nyara Taylor. Reminder, again, podcasting, audio medium. I mean, I could describe it. So Janeway is standing there and she smiles. That was the gif. <laughs> Thrilling. Um uh, Captain Burnham got love from at Gulo13 on Twitter, where he said Captain Burnham, or they said Captain Burnham of the USS Discovery. She has the best line said by a Starfleet captain to date. Let's fly. That, simple and sweet. I, you know, let's fly. Let's do this. Let's en- just get out of here. Engage. Make it so. I did. Autobots, roll out. In, in in the Phantasms episode, there's a part when Picard tells whoever the ensign is that's on Helms that day to engage. And just, he gives the most, like, half-hearted arm raise of, like, I've done this 10 million times, but here we go. I'm Picard. Engage. <laughs> Joseph Hauger voted for Captain Spock. Captain Spock, except for his illogical assumption that Admiral Kirk was a better starship commander. He would have kept his trainees and himself alive in that movie. <laughs> I mean, fair. Um, but Captain Picard got lots of love. TV's Travis said, I grew up with so much Trek on TV and I have to go with Picard. Kirk is great. I love Janeway, Cisco, and even Pike, but I'm a Picard man. John, are you a Picardy man? Is that, did that work? Picardy? That's a drink, right? John Picard. Howell anyway. agreed by saying, Picard <laughs> is my favorite, though I wish we got more of this guy. By that, he means Sulu. Again, gifts. We can't show them to you. <laughs> and uh, Tyler Gossard said, Picard, uh, I grew up watching TNG and found great comfort in his logical and rational decision-making process and leadership. Jeffrey Moses said, Picard is the top of my list, though I really like Cisco. I agree. Actually, seeing a series with Captain Sulu has or had a lot of potential. I as much as I love 
um, George Takei. I don't know if he has the energy for a Star Trek show anymore. Uh, Will Bonnie Castle said Picard for me. Uh, he was a true Renaissance man. He had an appreciation for the arts as well as a strong technical know-how when it came to his job. An extremely capable leader and capable of making hard decisions when necessary. The other captains have these qualities too, but I think I saw more of my own father in Picard. That's deep. That's Thank you for sharing. That's powerful. If Patrick Stewart is your dad. Yeah. Is Patrick Stewart your dad? Will Bonnie that, Castle? Please reply back. Let and, us know. Yeah. Are you French? Is that also like, are you fake French where you're like, you're apparently from France, but very British and like love cream tea? I, I mean, or I think, something? I think Bonnie Castle is a Scottish name. So maybe he loves Sub Rosa. So Angela Margatine Wood agreed with Picard. Who they simply just said, Picard, hard to articulate why, but I was always impressed with his reasoning and empathy. And why I watched a lot of TOS when I was little, TNG is what I watched the most growing up. Emily, uh, do you have a favorite captain? Is it Picard? Certainly the one I'm most familiar with. I've also uh, done the entire Janeway series. I didn't love how they ended that character for her, but I loved her in the first couple seasons. I love Cisco. I just, uh, you know, DS9 was a hard, hard show to pull off because they're not going anywhere. Everybody has to come to them. So uh, I really respect how they handled uh, Captain Cisco and uh, how he was more of a mayor than a captain. And I really appreciate that. Hmm. There you go. And a rapper, if I recall. Okay. Just rapping in the 90s. Anyone remember? Anyone? Yeah, yeah. Okay, look, look, if you guys aren't going to pretend you remember who Xenon is, I'm not going to pretend that I remember the rapper <laughs> Cisco of the you don't Thong Song. Enter the Dragon. Okay, Thong Song. Thank you. Someone Jeez. said it. I was going with Enter the Dragon. I don't know why, but I did. Uh, well, if you listeners want to have your answers read on the show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, hit me one more pod. We love to hear from you. Now, this is our moment of reflection where we normally ask, does the show still hold up or is it not worth watching? I think the answer is pretty obvious. Even for, for Nick, who's never watched the show, what he saw today interested him. So I don't really want to approach the question from that way. What I, I want to approach it from instead is why has Star Trek moved away from this kind of storytelling? Why is TNG, which is this hopeful uh, we can do anything if we come together, band together, not what Star Trek is doing anymore. And I'll turn that question over to you, Emily. Is this just outdated storytelling or they just uh, different ideals or is storytelling? To, I'm not going to put words in your mouth here, so I'll just let you oh. give your own thoughts. You know, I, I've often wondered that because I can't think of a show that is analogous to that even on the air now. Um, I think the Orville does a really good job, actually, really of like being a Star Trek show that obviously does not have the rights to it. <laughs> um, it you know, it for however you feel about uh, Seth MacFarlane, you know, like he really pulls it off. He's a good captain. I think that the show is diverse. They do a lot of really fun stuff. It's a great homage. If, if you're in, if you were hungry for a Star Trek like show, you can't do much better than that. Mm -hmm. um, I have not actually watched Star Trek Discovery because I was just really confused by it. I don't like the fact that it's slick and fancy, and like I want a little bit of like. You know, when we always joke when we watch it that when people go through the automatic doors, it's just PA is actually just pulling the cardboard out of the way and shoving it back. Like, I 
like that in a Star Trek. Um, and I, you know, and now that I know the plot of Discovery, I'm like actually a little put off. Um, I think that maybe the movies with Chris Pine and and all those folk who did a phenomenal job. I really like the movies, but they gave everybody a little bit too much confidence in what Star Trek is supposed to be. You know, it's not an action adventure show. It's it's a political show. And uh, I think they, they would behoove them to go back to that. Have, have you watched Picard? Do you have interest in Picard? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm just not buying another streaming service. Like, I already have, like, how many thousands of them? I mean, that is entirely fair. <laughs> if it was on Netflix, I would be watching the bejesus out of it. But it's not. <laughs> but, I mean, why do you think? Why, why do you think Star Trek has moved away from this sort of storytelling? Uh, the best I can tell, um, this is going to be very cynical as someone who lives in Los Angeles and, and works somewhat in the system. Marketing execs don't want to deal with the online chatter. I mean, it's Oof. enough as it is. And I don't blame them, to be honest with you. You have this really expensive property that you've owned and you've paid for. And you don't want to ruin it. But I think they are by uh, by stepping away from it, you know, of the true what Gene Roddenberry wanted to do. Um, you know, he purposefully made it diverse. He purposefully made it edgy and progressive and, and pushing boundaries. He did that on purpose. And while their casting and a lot of their um, characterizations do a very good job of acknowledging the diversity of the society that we live in, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's doing in the same way. That's no. about all I can say. It's interesting for a show that sort of, Pods the idea that the further we get into the future, the more progressive and egalitarian so on we get. But in production, show production wise, it almost sounds like it was regressing from the late 80s, early 90s to like what we have with the newer films today, you know, where, you know, the execs don't want to touch like Picard wearing a skirt or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think that they could remake a uh, remake or almost retell a lot of the storylines that they did on TNG just um with the better knowledge that we have now of diversity and identity and things like that and if they just took a lot of those shows and just kind of like addressed it again I think it would be very beneficial to the show and also society but uh I don't know if that's what they're doing on Disco and uh Picard well I have a great idea. And if CBS, if you're listening, if we want to get back to the progressive roots, I am demanding a Shonda Rhimes Star Trek series from Shonda, what is it? Shonda Town? Town? I don't Shonda remember. Land. Shonda, Shonda Land. Land. A Shonda Land. Everyone was like, ooh, Quentin Tarantino wants to do a Star Trek movie. Forget mm -hmm. about it. Stupid. Lame. Shonda Rhimes creating so a Star Trek show Let's, with, hear me out, hear me out, with Cisco doing the opening theme song. Boom. You do realize John. you do realize that the Cisco Ooh. in the show is not Cisco. I How dare don't you? care. I want Cisco the rapper to do the theme song okay. for my Shonda With the silver Rhimes. hair and everything. Yep. Yes. <laughs> oh, kids, yes. Google that. And then there's a crossover with Wild Wild West that I think okay. Cisco did the song with Will Smith. Oh. I think that's fine. I think I'm not asking for much. Get the other two guys from Drew Hill. Make it happen. Boom. See, this is perfect. We just saved Star Trek. Nick. That, that was my only goal in life. I am trying so hard to keep this show together. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, fine, fine. Sorry, I take it back. At the very least, I want Shonda Rhimes to produce it. I'm, Boom. Okay. I'm kidding. Nick, as someone this, who is entirely new to this, what were your thoughts? Did, did this feel 
outdated to you in a way that we wouldn't see it on TV, Orville notwithstanding? I mean, it, it is something where I think production-wise production, production wise may have been good for the time, cardboard sliding doors and all. Um, I can tell you even from, and you know, I'm, I'm in my early thirties. Like I, you know, there, I definitely grew up in the not golden age of TV where set designs and stuff like production quality wasn't particularly high. So I still have like a, a there's still a charm for it for me, but I feel like there's a way that they could maybe not be as slick as we're seeing from say Star Trek discovery, but still doing this kind of storytelling with maybe not cardboard sliding doors. Um, but as the show as it is, like I think that it's it's still it's still watchable. It's still interesting. Heck, I thought that Sub Rosa, the uh, ghost sex candle uh, episode, was amazing. It, not for good reasons, just that I thought it was amazing. Um, so I do I do think that it's 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 still worth checking out today. It's still relevant, and I think it could still really happen today. Again, I'm not going to go into my Shonda Rhimes idea, but I think it it still has a lot of legs today. They just need to not basically keep aping the the reboot films. Let the reboot films do their thing. Um, but I mean, like Star Trek Discovery, it's I haven't watched it, so maybe a Discovery fan can can chime in so that what I'm saying isn't complete bull. But it sounds like they they wanted to get a little bit of that energy from from the older series but also they knew that the the reboot films were like the bigger get so they wanted to base sort of the slickness and the action and all of that and the explosions uh from there and i think it, honestly in this day and age we need less explosions and more like nuanced interpersonal conflict resolution mm. brought to you by shonda rhimes go dave Look, it just started off as a soap opera, I guess, if we're getting Shauna Rhimes involved. Just, like, go insane immediately and uh, have, like, have whoever the captain is of the ship go into a coma first episode, and it's then uh, handled by their child who was uh, from a, a love relationship that the captain's partner didn't know about. You see, I'm getting in on it now. We'll, we'll make this And work. everyone on the bridge sleeps with each other. In fact, I think the season one finale will probably be a giant orgy. Okay, David, So wait, so wait, we're doing the naked now again? I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's a Star Trek episode where that basically everybody starts... Oh, cool. Know, getting it on. In the buff. Yeah. Cool. All right. So Perfect. For... <laughs> For me, uh, my thoughts on Star Trek Next Generation, obviously, it's a show that I am interested in, just have a hard time finding enough time in the day for seven seasons, 26 episodes per season. I, I would love to. I don't know that I will, and I, I kind of hate to say that, but that's not a mark against the show. That's just a mark against time and age and how much stuff there is to consume I have watched all of the Orville because there's considerably less of it, and I do really, really like Orville. And having watched more Star Trek now, you definitely see that Seth MacFarlane wanted to make Star Trek. They wouldn't let him, so he made his own thing, and he made it well. He did a very good job taking this and, and taking this idea of Star Trek and making it modern and, and approaching some stuff that this show wouldn't touch back then because that they just weren't ideas that were on the forefront in the same sort of way. Star Trek The Next Generation is still good. That's like the visual, some of the visual stuff aside, some of the bad episodes we can joke about now, the expectations aren't there anymore for us, so we can laugh about them. It's all charming in ways that don't degrade the show or drag it down. If you never watched Star Trek The Next Generation, if you never watched Star Trek in general, 
actually never watched Star Trek in general, I would say the next generation might be the easier one to start with and mm-hmm. then go back and see, see TOS, see what Roddenberry really kind of had in mind, uh, but wasn't really able to make in the, the 60s and 70s. And of course, listening audience, we know you love Star Trek, so let us know just how much. Let us know what episodes we missed talking about that we should watch and devote our time to. Hitmeonemoretime.com slash contact. Find all the ways to reach out to us there. That is going to do it for us here today. Emily, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was really, really fun. Thanks for letting me nerd out. Well, where can people find you if they want to find more of your nerdiness around the internet? Sure. Unfortunately, this is where the curse words are coming back a little bit. You can find me on all major platforms. Yeah, Earmuffs Kids uh, at Fuckboys of Lit. That's B-O-I-S or at fuckboysoflit.com. Check it out. Nick, thanks for being here, bud. Uh, thank you. As always, it's it's a pleasure, David. Where can people... F- yes, pleasure for me. Thanks. Where can people find you? You got any art you're showing around? I You can find me on Instagram at palblamshazam underscore art. I think I'm up to three pieces now. Ooh. I may have said on a previous episode, <laughs> which shows you how infrequently I actually post artwork. But now I think I'm going to create my Shonda Rhimes Star Trek. Like just sort of draw what my... That vision. It's basically, I'm just going to Photoshop the Grey's Anatomy cast into Starfleet uniforms because I don't have time to actually figure all that stuff out. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, so look forward to it. Uh, otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Nick. No, I changed it. I remember now. I changed my Twitter handle at Pal Blam Shazam. Um, so it's easier to remember. David, how about you? in your branding. If you want to find me at DevLuz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram, find me there, see what I'm up to. Listening audience, thank you for being here today. We do this show for you. We do this show because of you. Remember, you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time. Hey!